And it's uh, December 18th, and I'm in Senator Ted Stevens' office in Anchorage talking about uh, the uh, Native Claims Settlement Act during the early 1960s. And I guess by way just of background, um, uh, you obviously had uh, your, your public uh, biography is well known. Um, and uh, you were in Washington, D.C., and then you came up to Alaska in, what, 53 and became a U.S. attorney and obviously had not had uh, any dealings with the Native community at that point. Uh, did you get to know the Native community at all in terms of being a U.S. attorney? Were you out in the villages at all? Or where did you get your initial grounding and what the problem might be? Well, actually, I had uh, practiced law in Washington before I came to Alaska uh, and Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, was uh, with a small firm that uh, did work with the uh, with Yuspani uh, coal mines, uh, and uh, I had uh, uh, had some you know uh, personal interest in Alaska before that time, and had during that period uh, attended some hearings there in the in the period of 1950 through 52 before the uh, uh, House Interior Committee on, on statehood. I can't remember the exact dates, but I remember some of the uh, uh, testimony concerning uh, uh, the Native claims at that time. I had some friends in the Department of Interior at the time who were, uh, one of them's name was Horn. I don't remember what his first name was, but you'll find his name in the records. He wrote a lot of things about uh, he was a social solicitor, ultimately, of, uh, for Indian Affairs. But uh, I uh, practiced law then when I came to Alaska in, in 53 with, uh, with Collins and Clasby, and that fall became U.S. Attorney. And I had, you know, the same kind of uh, ex exposure to the Native community that any prosecuting attorney does. At that time, I was U.S. Attorney for the 4th Division, which was uh, roughly from uh, no McGrath uh, down to uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the Kennecott area and over to the Canadian border. It, uh, I used to travel through the villages, a great many of them, uh, on investigations and interrogation of witnesses. It was a lot different then. There were no local attorneys, you know, prosecuting attorneys. We, we were the prosecutors for the for the territory from the, well not, and the territory didn't have any prosecutors, but we, we prosecuted territorial law violations and, and uh, for the uh, uh, U.S. government, and so I, I had quite a bit of experience in the villages at that time. Primarily, I'd say, you know, in the Nome, uh, Yukon uh, uh, River area, uh, Actually, was a U.S. attorney at Nome. Was supposed to be there, but he wasn't there during my time. But uh, up to up the Fort, the Fort Yukon area and down up and down the river down there. Now, I assume, and maybe I'm wrong, that uh, the land issue really was not a pressing problem at that point in the mid '50s out in the villages. I mean, no one, there was no state in terms of state selections. And, um, I mean, no, is that assumption correct? Or? Yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, well, I guess. That gets us into 56, and you obviously also, it's well known in the public record, become involved with the Interior Department and, and are involved through the, uh, the statehood fight. And uh, I guess a couple things come to mind about that. One is um, 
what was the department's, was there anybody in the department paying attention to land claims at that point in the late 50s? I know that Senator Bartlett and James, a guy, a lawyer named James Peacock had floated uh, yet another one of Bartlett's many bills around that had never gone anywhere. Uh, was there anything, any consciousness at all inside the department? I remember there was one bill that was filed, uh, and there was a, a group that was working uh, uh, with the American Association of Indian Affairs, uh, Laverne Madigan and uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Forbes. Forbes. <clears throat> I spent a lot of time with them, uh, starting I think all about six fifty-six, uh, talking about some of the things that they were looking into. Uh, maybe it was a little later than that, but I think it was that early. But we had. Uh, Elmer Bennett was the solicitor at the time. He was uh, from the West, uh, had been uh, assistant to uh, Milliken of, uh, of uh, Colorado. He was a good lawyer. Uh, and, uh, uh, and Roger Ernst was assistant secretary for uh, uh, the area that included the BIA, and he was an Arizonan, was quite uh, sympathetic, really, to the uh, Indian problems of the Arizona area, and, and I think we had people who were quite conscious of the of the uh, scope of the of the claims of Alaskan uh, natives, but there was no uh, there was no real uh, active focus of that. It was a it was really a, a intellectual pursuit to try and understand them and how they affected statehood. Since there was really no political movement in in Alaska, I guess, at that point, too. at least as far as the Native community was concerned. You know, the only thing was the persistent claim based on the Teton case. Right. So. Right. Well, <clears throat> one of the interesting bits of trivia that I uncovered in the paper trail that I've been dying to ask you about is probably the major event of the early era is Tyonic um, getting the oil lease across uh, Cook Inlet, and they ended up bankrolling that first AFN meeting. I, a lot of people don't remember this to the tune of well over a hundred thousand bucks, and I have seen a paper trail that indicates that that when you were still solicitor, that there was some work done that actually concluded what the Udall administration later concluded that Tyonic was entitled to the to the reserve. And what I've seen was that you were overruled by Elmer Bennett, or the solicitor's office was overruled. Uh, you remember that at all? I've no. I remember. I don't remember who overruled us. I, I'm not sure as much as overruling as much as the as a, a, a decision that it was not something that was right for decision by the Interior Department. That would be more the way I would categorize mm -hmm. that decision. <clears throat> but uh, well, I had uh, done a series of things with uh, Laverne Madigan. Uh, trying to figure out how we would proceed to settle the land claims. We had at one time uh, uh, thought that you know, we had to have a contingency plan if we didn't get the bill through in the 58 time frame, what would we do? And we were thinking, you know, how could we do this? And I had, uh, I think you'll find in Laverne's papers that, uh, that uh, Leo Morgan got access to, we had some, you know, ideas of how would we go from place to place and take uh, evidence and get some record and try to, to delineate the scope and nature of these claims that were being presented to see how we could set up a, a mechanism for resolution. 
And the more I did that, the more I was convinced it would have to be by legislation, and, and that was what I told uh, Laverne Madigan uh, and uh, Dr. Forbes. Uh, uh, there really wasn't anything that I would say that was uh, 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 concrete before that time. The town, at least, uh, as, as I recall, was uh, it was issued. <clears throat> right, but uh, uh, initially in 62, the department couldn't decide politically. This was obviously you had left the department by that point. In 62, when they, when they went through it, they couldn't decide what to do about Well, one of the strange things was that Stuart Udall was a member of the uh, Interior Committee, uh, and uh, as uh, we knew that the, the administration was going to change, as solicitor, I went up and visited with him and uh, told him that I thought the most complex problem we had to solve was the, was the land claims issue and urged him to make it a front burner uh, issue in his uh, uh, tenure as, as Secretary of Interior. Uh, he, uh, uh, I think to a great extent, misread what I, uh, I said to him. It's like anything else. Uh, you know, I was an outgoing political appointee. He was an incoming secretary. He had no real, uh, you know, he was Kurdish, but it didn't take a great deal of time trying to understand the scope of that problem. I, I think he finally got a hold of it later. And by that time, uh, we had uh, we had set the stage for a decision he had to make uh, when we when uh, we presented the Minto uh, position. I. I I had, as you know, uh, asked my successor to clear me to to be able to uh, to represent uh, the American Association of Indian Affairs in their continued uh, pursuit of trying to assist in finding a solution for these uh, uh, claims, and uh, uh, Barry turned me down. I don't know if you found that person. <laughs> no, I haven't. So uh, we did work out an arrangement with the department that. Uh, uh, I could uh, at least get uh, uh, reimbursement by, for actual expenses. You know, I, I had uh, a full family at that time was opening up a law practice here and was, you know, and had no independent wealth. There was no way that I could subsidize that effort. Uh, uh, but I did uh, confer with uh, Richard Frank at Minto and did uh, outline to them the, the, the manner in which I thought it could be brought to a head by protesting uh, the, the approval of a state selection, which is really <clears throat> what finally brought it to a head. Uh, that was in probably, you know, by the time we'd done that, it was probably 61 or later. Uh, Udall then reacted in a, in, in a way that I thought was really, uh, you know, difficult to understand. He put on the, the total withdrawal, and he, that was the first of, in my opinion, uh, the Udall, you know, both the Udalls approach to using an issue, this was a land claims issue for the, the other objective, which was to prevent the state from taking some of the lands that uh, they thought should be set aside for national purposes in the state. The land claims uh, uh, issue was the cause for the, as you know, the the uh, uh, land freeze that was put into effect uh, by 
by Udall, and he, instead of using a, the, the mental protest as the reason for a, a, a specific ruling, uh, put a blanket on top of all of it and just said this has to be solved by Congress. Right. Well, let me back you up a sec. Um, you've mentioned Laverne Madigan a couple of times, and I'd be curious. I have been through uh, Laverne's papers um, up at Princeton, and uh, they really are pretty interesting in terms of the effort she was making in the in the sort of 60, 61, 62. I never saw this. So I don't know what she may or may not have said about the time she spent with me, but she spent considerable time with me from the period of uh, uh, at least 57 to uh, 60, and then after we came here, uh, Anna and I had a party for her and Dr. Forbes in the backyard of my, my house over there in 12th and P, and I spent considerable time, and by that time, Roger Ernst had moved on to be the uh, uh, executive, uh, you know, the titular president of uh, American Association of Affairs, and was working with Laverne and Forbes, and was intended to come up on that trip, he didn't come. Right. Now, what was your impression of Laverne? Was she like, uh, bright, average, um, happy, sad, vivacious, dumpy. I mean, was he? Did she have a? Did she have a view of what she was doing up here, or was she just trying to be helpful? Or well, she was a very dedicated young woman, uh, uh, and uh, and Forbes was a uh, very, very intelligent, articulate uh, member of uh, you know the academic community. Uh, and 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 I, I I can't remember what he, whether he was the one who had money or whether she found other people had money, but she had some financing coming through there. That uh, they they were and they were dedicated to try and help uh, find a solution. Uh, it was uh, it was hard to get people in the South Way to recognize that Alaska Natives were part of the American Indian scene, and she uh, uh, she succeeded in focusing uh, their national association on that, and and were I think in the long run quite helpful. Some. Some Alaskans viewed her as being quite negative, uh, uh, including Greening. I mean, I think she, I don't know what her papers show, but I, my memory was she didn't get along with Greening very well at all. Right. Well, they sort of got in Dutch when they, when the first Tanana Chiefs meeting was held back in 62, and in fact, uh, she speaks quite highly of you, by the way, in her papers. Well, I helped finance that. I don't right. know if you know that. Uh, I had uh, very little campaign money, but I I had a plane chartered up there, and, and, and Richard, I think, told me he couldn't get the, the tenant on chiefs in, and uh, so they took the plane I was supposed to go off campaigning on, uh, running against Greening at the time, by the way, I'm sure you know, uh, to go get the tenant on chiefs and bring him in, and I didn't get to my meeting, which was somewhere else. That's one of those <laughs> things that you remember. Right. Well, actually, that, that does lead us into to another interesting area that I've always been fascinated about, and that is you did run against Greening in 62, and um, I've somewhere along in the paper trail have have discovered the campaign platform that you ran on in terms of settling aided claims. And, uh, you know, it looks sort of normal today, but uh, it, I would think for back in 1962 it would have been pretty um, mind-boggling, for lack of a less artful term, uh, for the non-native sort of downtown chamber of commerce um, kind of people, and I was wondering... Uh, well, I think that probably was the case. I lost that election here in Anchorage. I mean, what, well, I guess let me ask the question another way. Did, did, did your position on land claims, the idea that we have to settle this, we should have some kind of development corporation, a land selection program for people, was, was that, how was that received by the 
sort of city fathers, or was it? I mean, was it a factor? In well, I had some pretty good people here who were helping me in the campaign. I don't think that the local people here in the Anchorage area were as disturbed as the, the people who represented the Seattle interests uh, at the time. You know, you've got to remember that we had just gone through the battle with the with the uh, 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 canned salmon industry, and they, they were still very disturbed. Uh, uh, I had uh, been a solicitor at the time, uh, you know, that we got Fred Seaton to certify the state was capable of managing fish and game. There was a reservation in the state to adapt. The state didn't have the right to, to manage fish and game until he made that certification. He made it within hours after we became a state, and uh, uh, they, uh, the, that whole crowd of the canned salmon uh, mining group uh, from, 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 from the Seattle region had some real reservations about uh, Mike, and, and they were they were sort of schizoid about it because they didn't like greening either. But uh, they thought that uh, there there was a lot of opposition from the well, was there non local businesses. The local businesses, the guy in the street, uh, uh, really wasn't it wasn't an issue. Don. It wasn't an issue that it was an issue in the people who were involved in, in the transportation, mining, or you know, oil exploration, that sort of thing. They weren't happy about that. Right, but, but in terms of the overall campaign, your position on land claims wasn't a deciding factor pro well, I think, or con? Yeah, or? I think it hurt me in Fairbanks, too. Yes, it did. Yeah, there was a, I think, matter of fact, there's a couple of editorials you could find in the campaign. Uh, I, I don't, all my stuff from that, those days were destroyed in a flood we had in the house. And I don't have them. Well, um, and greening was very vociferous. <clears throat> well, those things. Well, what was his attitude? I mean, obviously, your I know what your campaign platform was with respect to settling land claims in '62. Was was he even remotely aware of the problem, or was he just still back in the '40s? Of course, with his you know, I, I was holding myself out here to earn a business as as a lawyer that understood the land problems of the state. I wrote a lot of title opinions in those days. I was working with some of the members of the oil industry, and, and one of the things I was doing, I, I was accepting uh, the land claims from the title opinions I wrote. And the title company picked that up and started looking at title, title uh, at, on their title opinions of accepting uh, land claims. I think I injected into the, into the legal stream a, a new concept, which was, uh, you know, that I felt out there was something that had to be resolved, the Statehood Act required it, and, and I put a reservation on all my title opinions of, of uh, there weren't that many, but I wrote dual side opinions and, and some land acquisition opinions of, uh, and the title companies were coming on fairly strong then and they, I think most of them took that up. I, I don't know. I, I know one did. But uh, well, it's a, it, uh, the consciousness of, this, of the Alaska society and the necessity to settle the issue had not heightened. As a matter of fact, even at the time we finally got the bill passed, after I got the Senate, as you know, there, we had a 75 to 80 percent opposition to the bill at the time. <clears throat> but it was a necessity. It was an absolute, in my opinion, many people, including Mary Westername wrote a book on the land claims, and she uh, seemed to think Mary it was Zero. all motivated by the gigantic oil industry. I don't think the oil industry people ever asked me to get the, the land claims settled. They weren't worried about land claims. They had a lease from the United States, and 
uh, and they had a lease from the state of Alaska. They, they were not worried about land claims upsetting them. Uh, those are valid leases, and uh, I, I think what the, the motivating factor was getting the statehood land. If you want, I think I had a debate with uh, Roscoe Bell before the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce. I know I did, but I don't know whether damn, whether anybody's got the copy of it, uh, uh, whether it was even reported. But I tried to force the Egan administration to, to make its land selections, to get the job done. As I, I had the feeling at the time that uh, the Udall forces that wanted, you know, they were, they're great for national parks and wildlife reserves, and we were too, by the way. Greening introduced a bill to create a, 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 a national park down in the White Mountains country, and, and you know, that there was not, we weren't antagonistic to parks in the state, but we're antagonistic to the size of the parks these guys were talking about. And I, I was saying, you've got to get the, 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 the land. Their opposition was based upon uh, the uh, uh, highway funds we got at the time. <clears throat> and, and I tried to tell them that, that between the state and the natives, we could make a deal. We could decide and we could get a release from the natives. Uh, I think I made a, a statement somewhere along the line, one of those campaigns about how we ought to proceed to, to try to get state selections and, and get a release in, in exchange for saying we would, we would share with the native people the rights to manage some of the state lands. In other words, try to get land in the native people's hands as well as the, as the rest of the economics. But it was, uh, it was not very, very well received. <laughs> Well, that actually raises sort of a technical question, and that is, did you, uh, as a legal matter, in terms of your representation with Minto, did you agree with with what eventually became the Ninth Circuit conclusion that well, if— I never could represent him. Right. I'm All I had the right to do mm -hmm. was, uh, as, a, as a friend of the American—and I think I was a member of the association— Right. —receiving just— Actual expenses, airline and and hotel expenses, to meet with Richard Frank and go over their their, their records, and advise them how to phrase a protest. Right. <clears throat> Once that was filed, then AIA had to get someone else to represent them. So I had nothing to do with that case. I I have no, I don't even have any uh, a present recollection of what happened on that case. I helped them file the protest with the idea that Udall, based on the conversation I already had with him, would see that this, and I think I talked to him too, he came up here about that time. Yeah, he was up in 62. Yeah, and I talked to him and I talked to Green. He was up in 63. Uh, even though we were, we were running, I, talk, I talked to him about it, and that was for the purpose of bringing this issue ahead and getting the decision, which had it, we could have avoided a, a lot of the necessity for the well, the overall uh, problem, if the Interior Department had said, let's get together, Alaska, state, and natives, let's decide what the natives have a right to claim, and let's decide what the state has to claim, and we'll ask Congress to confirm the, the natives. Now, that was my uh, sort of naive approach at the time. Right. Well, actually, you know, that almost worked, and I guess that leads me into my next question, which is, um, you know, in late 67, uh, then Governor Hickel put together this task force, which was supposed to do exactly as you suggest. Well, I was in the legislature and got right. a resolution passed. Did you find that? No, I haven't found that. Well, there was a resolution I put in, or something I did down there. It got Wally 
working towards trying to get the land claims resolved. Right. Well, I guess my, my question is, is I've talked to Barry Jackson about it, and he was like the primary drafter of that, of that uh, task force bill, he and Cliff Groh and Roger Connor. And, and that bill is interesting because in many ways, in terms of policy, it looks very much like the end result conceptually um, in terms of a 40 million acre bill and most importantly in terms of using corporations as the vehicle for sort of distributing the, the settlement. I don't think corporations in the sense we conceived them uh, out of that land claims oh, uh, conference came out of that. Sure, sure did. It's, it's, it's the first time you'll find a, a state chartered um, corporations being used as, as the methodology for the settlement. And what I've always been curious about is I asked that's an interesting thing because I, you know, I remember being in that conference and I don't remember. Uh, this was like uh, December '67, January '68. Um, yeah, well, I'm talking about the conference in '70. Oh, 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 no, no, that's a, that's a. <clears throat> I'm talking about in terms of where the Native community first really got it in its head that the state chartered corporation was the appropriate vehicle as opposed to all this IRA stuff we're hearing about today and you know all the sort of revisionist history we, we're absorbing. But Barry says that that uh, he was the guy that thought it up and, and I talked to Cliff about it and he says yeah he thinks it was Barry but the only reason I, I bring it up here is that I, I know that Barry Jackson was in the legislature the same time you were and it looks very much conceptually like the structure that you suggested in your 1962 platform, That's <laughs> which is what I was interested in, whether or not you had any recollections of ever discussing with Barry Jackson um, uh, any uh, of this my stuff. My name, was that piece of legislation that came out of the legislature at that time? No, no, no. It, what happened was uh, in late 67, Hickel and Boyko decided that maybe they should try and negotiate this, as you just suggested. Yes, and I, I was involved in that. But Ed, you know, Ed was not too receptive of ideas from legislators who were lawyers. He had his own <laughs> idea, and he and I weren't in, in sync at the time. He had just uh, ruled that a, a bill of mine was unconstitutional. It would have created, uh, 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 what do you call it, fish farming. Uh, aquaculture. Aquaculture. And, uh, I didn't think it was, but uh, anyway, we, he was not too receptive to but I did work a lot with uh, Barry Jackson. Jackson and I were good friends in the state legislature. I was not involved as a lawyer, however. He and Cliff were involved as lawyers and representing people. Remember, I was barred from that. Now, that's why, so you can't find, my, my participation was in conferences and meetings with them and talking to them about what I'd done back there and how I thought things should come through. And uh, uh, I, I don't remember who injected the corporations. <coughs> well, I, I got to tell you, I always thought I did uh, in that conference, as far as the land claims bill itself was concerned, in that conference. Well, I mean, the, the concept was kicking around a long, long I'm time glad. before that. <laughs> I'm glad. I don't like but to think that uh, we seized on something at the last minute, so it, it works, works better that way. It <laughs> works that better. Right. Well, um, I guess the the last major event um, before we get up to to sort of the real deal when after your appointment uh, to the Senate and, and after uh, 
Nixon administration comes online, which I'd like to come back some other time and talk about. I haven't done any homework on that. But I have been curious about the, um, you obviously got appointed in late 1968, and the first real test you had coming out of the box was trying to get Wally through his confirmation uh, hearings. And, uh, you know, the big issue up here, although he had, I guess, a lot of other problems nationally in terms of, of torquing off the enviros or whatever it is he did. But in, up here, of course, it was the issue of the land freeze. And I guess that raises a couple of questions. Did, did you have a personal view in, at that time in terms of, of what Wally should do about whether or not to lift the freeze? Or was that pretty much left to Wally? Remember, he had to promise no, no, I'd have that to he would get the. I think I'd send him some letters or memorandum advice and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd have to look. I don't know if I did or not, but I think I did. And, and my position was uh, the, the same, I think, all the way through that period. The way to lift the freeze was to get the uh, land claim settled. Uh, and that lifting the freeze Lifting the freeze would not have done away with the land claims. That's why I disagree with you, though. The, the, the land claims, if they were valid, were still going to be valid uh, until the state, uh, con uh, till the government conveyed the uh, statehood lands to the state of Alaska. The o only uh, threat to the land claims was, was the action uh, of the state selections. It was not the leasing of lands. I kept telling the people involved there, uh, you know, uh, uh, the attorneys for their various Native groups that they should not uh, uh, protest uh, issuing of leases to uh, 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 the oil industry. Now, mind you, a lot of again that's where Mary made the mistake because she seemed to equate the land claims to a, a, a possibility of delay to the oil industry. The oil industry was dealing with state lands in Prudhoe Bay. The land claims were not a problem there. If they if they proved to be valid, and then then the, the, then and the courts had somehow or other said that uh, that. Uh, 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 they uh, they own the lands rather than the, than the uh, 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 state. I I was confident that, that the paper trail of the legislation gave the state the right to issue the the lease uh, under a tentative approval at the time and would be binding upon uh, uh, the 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 uh, natives because of the the federal government's role as trustee at the time. So I, I never had any fear. I don't think that uh, uh, that the, and I'm going off on a paper, uh, rabbit trail here for you, but I, I don't think that the uh, idea that we had to get the land claim settled to deal with the oil industry was valid, as I said in the first instance. Now, when we got down into this period as to how to get the land claims, how to get the land freeze lifted, it was the absolute, you know, unified goal of the state, I think, to get it lifted, except for the few native lawyers involved who thought that somehow or other it was a leverage. Uh, uh, and I kept saying, you know, I, I still believe that the way to get the leverage was to get some case, a court case, that said, you can't have, you, State of Alaska, can't have title to this land until. Uh, these land claims are settled by Congress uh, because of Section 4. And that, that brings us back to where we started. Section 4, my, right. I think, was, was the protection that uh, we uh, insisted on. I had, I had long sessions with Bob Bartlett on that. 
I think Bartlett shared my feeling that the overall future of the state depended upon an early resolution of land claims and that, that the, the, the major goal that we had was to get the land to the state as quickly as possible to prevent any other action being taken. And as you know, in the time I've been back there, there have been people who have tried to revoke the land grants of the Statehood Act. There have been people who suggested that they got, we got too much land in the Land Claims Act to uh, the natives. Uh, we, that's why I finally convinced the, the, the uh, Reagan administration to move as quickly as possible to process those those grants and, and the land claim uh, uh, approvals because I still I still think there's a threat out there even today there's a threat that they could be taken away from us but that that lifting of that land freeze in my opinion was was the reason that Hickel came around and started working towards uh, uh, getting the land claim settled and when we get back in the next session I'll be glad to go through some of the things we did to try and get to that point where we, we had the, the mechanism for settlement and, where, and when we finally got down to literally going down to the White House and getting Nixon to sign off on the 40 million acres uh, and uh, the billion dollars provided the state would contribute. Now that, that was a presidential decision. And uh, my memory of the 40 million acres was that there was never any real congressional interest in 40 million acres uh, until I got there. Uh, Bartlett, although he, as I said, I think he was very sincere, he, his, his bill was somewhere much less. Uh, and, uh, right, well, actually, that, that more conservative in terms of the approach to settlement. Right, every, everybody was up until. Until you arrived, and until uh, Nixon came out publicly for the 40 million acres, but I guess that sort of leaves me at, at the end of the line for today. And that is, what was uh, Senator Jackson's view at that time? Like when you first got appointed, um, I mean, he was he was the guy that that pinned Wally with having to agree that he wouldn't lift the settlement. I mean, I'm sorry, he wouldn't lift the, the land freeze. Did did Jackson at that point have a clear idea? Um, well, Jackson by this time is chairman now. Right. Right. And and uh, was a, a good friend, but on the other hand, was uh, still not going to get uh, uh, that far out in front of the people that he uh, uh, represented, who were again the people who had the, the greatest interest in in uh, land, uh, were still based out of Seattle. We, it wasn't until later that we got uh, these people into resident uh, Alaska Corporation. You know, uh, we'd only been a state nine years when I got back there. And there, there had been some transition, but it wasn't that fast. Uh, and uh, I think Jackson was a good friend and was, uh, was uh, not opposed to the, the amount of land uh, being 40 million acres, but he wanted to see uh, uh, I think somewhere I've got that Nixon. He wanted to see Nixon on the line. Those were his words. On the line. He, wa he wanted a president behind it. He didn't want it to be a congressional action alone. And uh, well, I guess what he I've wanted to get the resolution. I guess what I've always Bible, I think, but maybe you don't know this. Bible behind the scenes was probably 
one of our real hmm. solid friends on this issue. He was the one who chaired the, the, the conference committee. Right, I, I mean, and uh, did a lot of work with uh, with uh, Aspinall and trying to work that out. He was then, I think, chairman of the Public Land Subcommittee, and he was very much involved in this whole resolution. But uh, uh, Jackson had his other job, uh, defense matters and other things, and Bible was a very loyal uh, and uh, capable friend to both uh, both uh, uh, Jackson and to me. Few people realize he's the one that broke the, uh, gave us the pipeline. You know, he changed, oh, was he the he, he was the vote? And, he came over and voted with us when some of the Republicans went over and voted with, uh, 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 against us because they 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 didn't like something Gravel had said. <laughs> but it, uh, that's a long story. That's a long story. I bet. But, but but Jackson, I don't think Jackson ever envisioned 40 million acres actually ever being approved by. <clears throat> by uh, 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 Nixon. He still had some reservations about his relationship with Wally in, in, the, in the period of 70-71. Right. Well, I guess the reason I asked is that on the one hand, if, if you read the hearing record of Wally's confirmation hearing, Jackson is really very strident about making him commit to not lifting the freeze. And then on the other hand, if you look at Jackson's acreage position in those days, you know, 68, 69, as you suggest, he was really quite conservative in terms of, of, uh... Well, a lot of that was just politics, you know, as a matter of fact. They, they thought they had J uh, Wally, you know, and I don't think, I think Scoop tried to be a friend of Wally's, but Wally never really felt that way for a while, I think. I think later they got along, but Scoop had a very difficult job. He, he was sort of, uh, you know, Mr. Alaska until we got there, until Alaska Saunders got there, and uh, he had a difficult time. Uh, uh, with He was also trying to move in and have the environmental support for the for the election, you know. Oh, when he was running for president? Yeah. Right. right. And he, he came to I, I worked with him on the National Environmental Policy Act and all those things. He was really seeking uh, to be involved. And when I was with Seton, I had worked with Jackson. Not only in the state of act, but on other matters, uh, Jackson was then the the the, the uh, chairman of the territory subcommittee, and so I'd known Scoop uh, even before that when I was back there in the fifties. Uh, my 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 relationship with Scoop went back a long way. But I think let me uh, get to this thing, and if we, right, uh, I'll, I'll be glad. I, I uh, put away all our files. It'd be hellish to try and get them out. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to do it. But uh, 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 there have been people asked for access to them. We haven't uh, we haven't done that yet because they're really not been sorted out. You know, uh, sometime I'll probably have to be dead for people to do that. That's <laughs> not very nice to my friends who are alive now. I don't know. But, well, I. Uh, 